Well, Father, we have sung in your presence, and we now once again bow in your presence, asking that uh, your word before us would uh, stir us up and get our attention, that it would be our increasing rule. We pray that your spirit uh, would be our helper, our teacher, one who prompts prompts us within, and that it would be your greater glory that would be our supreme concern now as we pray these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Madison opened our service today with a reading from Psalm 100, and I hope that you'll have it before you. I won't read it in full now, but it's a particularly good psalm for today because if you look carefully at it, you'll note that before verse 1, it's noted as a psalm for giving thanks. Among the 150 psalms, it's unique in that way. It doesn't mean it's the only psalm that says, hey, you should give thanks to God, but this uh, designation which it has before it, it does stand out from all of the rest, explicitly identified as a thanksgiving psalm. And it seems like it would be a good one for us to turn to today on this post-Thanksgiving Sunday. When we think of the psalms, undoubtedly, many of you know that uh, these uh, words before us have been like the hymn book for God's people for uh, centuries of time. So, for example, if you're a little bit older, or maybe you grew up in a more traditional church, you probably sang Psalm 100 from the pages of a hymn book. It was just under the title of Old Hundredth, Old Hundredth. So if you know the tune to the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. If if you know that melody, then you can actually sing the Old Hundredth because that melody was matched up with the lyrics, mashed together, if you like, from Psalm 100 around the 16th century by a Frenchman, and thus the lyrics were added to the Genevan Psalter, and we get the old hundredth. We're actually going to close our service by singing it together, and you get the melody. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful heart, serve him with joy, his praises tell, come now before him and rejoice. When it comes to uh, the Psalms, I think we would all agree that the 23rd is the most famous, the Lord is my shepherd, and I don't have data to support this, but I'd surmise that probably the 100th Psalm is easily in the top five of the most well-known of the others. It's on my mind. It's a good place for us to turn to today because after this little sermonette, we're going to have uh, the opportunity for uh, you, us, to publicly thank God for his goodness and his grace. That's Uh, what the microphone is intended to help us accomplish that's in the aisle before us. I'll say a bit more about that in a little bit, but and for now, uh, I just want to turn to the 100th Psalm, as I mentioned in a brief way, uh, so that it might uh, stir our hearts up with uh, gratitude by making really two fairly simple observations. Firstly, in verses 1 through 3, the author sets forth a call to praise the Lord. And then in verses 4 and 5, he gives us a call to Thank the Lord. Call to praise and a call to thanks. First of all, verses 1 through 3, we're called to praise the Lord in at least three ways. Joyfully, knowledgeably, and humbly. So first, we're called to praise our God joyfully. Uh, We're directed to make a cheerful noise. Or uh, your Bible translation may have it in this way. It says, shout for joy to the Lord. Shout! Raise the decibel levels. Shout. I thought to myself, man, I wish I would have known this psalm when I was a kid for all the times I got chided for making too much noise in church. I could have said to Mr. Spear, well, I'm just doing what the psalmist directs us to do. Make a joyful noise. Shout. 
But I thought of Mr. Spear and I said, well, he's a lot more godly than I. And he would have said, Matthew, it's not shouting for the sake of shouting. It's happily applauding God for who he is. In other words, the psalmist is prompting us to make a joyful noise about someone else. It's it's like when you go to a, a wedding reception and the DJ says to us, put your hands together and make some noise for Mr. and Mrs. Thompson. Make a joyful noise about someone else. Make some happy noise about God. That's what the psalmist is getting at. There is, of course, a place for a funeral service, but our worship service that we gather on Sundays isn't a funeral service. In fact, it's a resurrection celebration service. And so our time together should be marked by joy and gladness and singing. Those are actually the accompaniments of our worship. Notice also that it's not just joyful singing that we're called to do, but also joyful serving. Serve the Lord with gladness. That word right there is one of the reasons why I hesitate to call the singing portion of our service uh, worship. It is that, of course, the worshiping of our God in song, but, uh, but our worship of God, it's also expressed in our acts of doing uh, for one another. For, for example, uh, worshipful acts are happening in our nursery as caring adults are offering up their time as an act of service toward God in the consideration of young parents. At this very moment, there may be a, a nursery worker who has a little one sitting upon her lap, and she is perhaps uh, humming or singing to her uh, a joyful song. I said, well, if that's the case, then she gets a double gold star because she's both joyfully singing and joyfully serving the Lord. Secondly, we're being prompted to praise God knowledgeably because how we worship depends on what we know. And as Christians, we we do know a lot. After all, we we don't worship an unknown God or some sort of nebulous higher power or a vulnerable deity referred to as Mother Nature. We worship the maker and creator of all things, the only true God, the living and active God. Our knowledge of God is chiefly made known to us by him in the pages of the Bible. It's uh, why we say that the scriptures are God's self-revelation to us. So you have this wonderful tension where God is, he's mysterious and he's transcendent, he's other, he's far beyond us. And yet at the same time, uh, he's interested in us knowing him and being known by him. Which is why our knowledge of him, it tends to be really the focus of the songs that we sing. Songs that say much about his uh, nature and the, the character of our gracious God. As the opening song so classically put it, praise to the Lord who over all things so wondrously Reigneth, wondrously reigneth. And then it says next, and at the same time, he shelters you under his wing, yet so gently sustaineth, reigneth, sustaineth. God knows and reigns over everything. If you like, uh, he has superhuman intelligence which is a a mouthful of a phrase, but it's something that we're hearing a great deal about these days. In fact, uh, there are some people who fear that uh, the superhuman intelligence that's exhibited in AI, artificial intelligence, may uh, rise up and cause total human extinction. To which the New York Times colonist, Ross Dothit, he brought some perspective to when he wrote about this existential dread of AI. He said, quote, uh, broadly speaking here, religious believers 
knowing that we already share the universe with superhuman intelligence makes the AI will cause total human extinction a bit less worrisome. But the concern that AI will take our souls and bind them in Mordor where the shadows are, unfortunately, a bit more credible. You got that reference better than the first service. Well done. It's actually some really good tongue-in-cheek perspective because he's saying uh, religious believers, Christians, certainly we, we know, we already know that we share the universe with superhuman intelligence, the Lord who reigns over all, including even AI. He so wonderfully reigneth. You see, in that way, our knowledge of God, it actually does two, at least two things. It quiets our fears, and at the same time, it stirs us up to praise. Because in this book, it's the story of God, how God has shown and assured his people who he is and what he's like. He's revealed himself to us in creation, in covenant, and most notably in his son. He says to his people, here's who I am. Speaking of God's people, uh, that gets us to the third way in which we're to praise God, which is humbly. So joyfully, knowledgeably, and humbly. Humbly, because in verse 3, the psalmist declares that God made us. This verse isn't about how God made us and knew us in our mother's womb, marvelously creating life at conception. That, that is wonderfully so and true. But this usage of he made us in Psalm 100 isn't actually about individuals. It's about a, a nation. It's about how God made a people for himself in the ancient nation of Israel. And it says that God made them his people to be the sheep of his pasture, which again brings to mind the words of David in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, the shepherd he loves, he, he leads, the shepherd uh, looks after his people, uh, caring for them in all of the in intricacies of life. Well, in a similar way, here our author speaks of God as the shepherd of his people. And of course, when we as Christian people think about God as shepherd, it brings to mind uh, for us the words of Jesus in John 10, where he said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, he came, he lived, he died, he rose to save us from our sin, to claim us for God and make us part of his redeemed people. I think the whole sermon, it, sermonette, it just pivots on this thought right here. If there's no other reason for why we as Christian people must be most thankful to God, it's because he both made us and he redeemed us. There really should be no one more grateful to God than the sheep who are cared for by the good shepherd. We aren't self-made. We've been God-made. We didn't figure this Christianity thing out on our own. God graciously made it known to us. Because left to our own devices and our navel-gazing, we'd be left unhappy, unknowledgeable, and foolish. But by grace, we aren't. Why? Because God made us his people. And so our worship of him, it's to be uh, joyful, if not mostly because we're, we're grateful of what we could have been, but by grace, who God has made us to be. That's the gist of these opening two uh, stanzas, a call to praise the Lord. Joyfully, knowledgeably, humbly. And then in verses 4 and 5, we have a, a call to thank the Lord. Someone says, hey, 
Thank him for his goodness, his steadfastness, and his faithfulness. First of all, thanking him for his goodness. In uh, considering God's goodness, I find it almost more helpful to contrast Yahweh, Israel's God, with the heathen gods of the surrounding nations of their day who, who, weren't, who weren't good at all. They could be selfish and erratic. You, you never know when they might be having a bad day and turn against you and do you harm. Well, uh, not so with our God. The God of the Bible is and always has been good. Just, just scan through the storyline. When he uh, created the world, he saw that it was good. Paul says that when he reveals his will to us, it is good and pleasing and perfect. And of course, uh, the word gospel actually means good news. It's good because God himself is good. And so we thank him for all of his goodness to us. Secondly, we thank him for his steadfastness. Uh, that, that is his, his steadfast love for us, which means that his love, it remains a steady and, and strong toward us. Uh, maybe think about it like this. His, his covenant love for you doesn't come uh, 60 miles per hour at you one day, but then 25 miles per hour the next day be, because you send yourself into a mess. Christian brother and sister, even on your worst, most faithless, most doubtful day on the calendar year, God's love for you in the Lord Jesus remains the same. It's like constantly set on speed control, cruise control towards you at 60 miles per hour. He doesn't fluctuate because you do. His love is steadfast. His love is lavish towards you. So thank him for his steadfastness. And finally, thank him for his faithfulness. Because our God is a covenant-keeping God. His word is uh, dependable. His promises are trustworthy. He, he's even timely in his faithfulness. Which, which means this, that, that everything you need, uh, you will have when you need it. Everything you need, you will have when you need it. Here's what this means, as, as Corey Tenboom once put it. Uh, Corey and her family, they were Christians who were active during uh, World War II. They were active to provide protection and passage for the Jews through the Dutch underground, which is to say that as a fairly young person, uh, Corey knew a whole lot about uncertainty. I think she feared about her own death and certainly the death of her parents for the courageous things they were doing. Years later, after the events of World War II, she wrote in her book titled The Hiding Place, something that her, her father said to her regarding the certainty of God's faithfulness. Everything you need, you will have when you need it. Father sat down on the edge of the narrow bed. Corey, he began gently, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I get your ticket? I sniffed a few times, considering this. Why, just before we got on the train. Exactly. And our wise Father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and you will find the strength you need just in time. Just in time. Everything you need, you will have when you need it because God is faithful to us. If he declares that we are his, 
then we are his no matter what. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So even think about it like this, death may come upon us or someone that we love before we're ready for it to happen. Even so, we are still his, his and we will always be his because he says to his people with, co- with covenant assuredness, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So you say to yourself, I can't believe all that he is to me. How can I not bless him for his goodness? How can I not bless him for his steadfast love toward me? Come, let's bless him for his faithfulness to all the generations of his people. The psalmist closes in this wonderful way because who God was to the psalmist, he is to you and me through the Lord Jesus, our great shepherd of the sheep. And who he is to us, he will be to our children and to our children's children should the Lord Jesus tarry because his steadfast love endures and his faithfulness To all generations So Bless him when he uh, Gives much Bless him when he takes away Because under all Circumstances he's working for good And so we bless him We praise him we trust him And in many ways we trust him Together